When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. PHLY Eagles podcast on a Thursday high noon. Bo Wolf, Zach Berman, joined in studio today by another special guest, Les Bowen. Les, how are you? I'm great, Bo. How are you? We are we are good. It is a pleasure to have you to uh, to get your perspective on everything that's going on with the Eagles right now. Uh, it has been it has been fun to like listen to or read your thoughts that that you've been given out. I know that Zach is very much like. Uh, I need to be writing for every day the rest of my life. I'd like to, to sort of pick your brain on that. But but Zach, how are you? Doing well. Excited for the show. Appreciate Les coming in. and Another former colleague of yours. Another former colleague of mine. And eagerly uh, awaiting the combine next week. I imagine that we're going to have some resolution soon with the Eagles coaching staff. They're, they're like the last team, it seems, to formalize the staff. And uh, um, yeah, I, I think... Things pick up as as we've been mm-hmm. saying. Next week, things pick up. It accelerates into a different gear. Zach, what is your favorite memory of working with Les? Oh, so many good memories of working with Les. Um, and I've I worked with Les at different junctures of my That's career right. too. I was at Sports Week, uh, which was a short-lived <laughs> Daily News publication, uh, and that was my first time working with Les. And I worked, quote unquote, against Les when I was at the Inquirer yes. until we uh, uh, joined together. I, I respect Les's work so much. Um, Les, I would say, uh, we had a, a lot of good dinners on the road. I had a nice dinner in Tampa with Les and Paul Domwich. That jump, that comes to mind. I, I had Great a nice food city. Tampa. I, I had a nice dinner. Les and I at the owners' meetings in Orlando, where they will be this oh, year. Yeah. Yeah, um, yes. But from a like work perspective, uh, I was always envious. Les had a really good relationship with uh, Nick Foles' father from, I guess, stories early on. Um, And so was able, during the Super Bowl run, uh, did a good piece uh, on on Foles that, you know, I mean, Larry Foles was like in demand that week Mm -hmm. and uh, Les was able to speak to him. The restaurateur. And then speaking of players' parents, um, I believe this is accurate. Les at the Senior Bowl, the Senior Bowl was a a few weeks ago, uh, 
this was before the Eagles traded up to get Carson Wentz, but Les watched the practice with Carson Wentz's dad. Is that right? Yes, it is. And that was one of the lowlights of my career in retrospect, <laughs> because here's what happened. So I, I think his name is Doug. Doug Wentz is sitting there with his wife and his daughter. And they were at that point, you know, really new to all this. They were thrilled to talk to me. It was great. But I didn't really... At that point, Carson Wentz was kind of an interesting mm. concept, but I had no idea. Eagles still had the, the 13th Eagles were pick at that point. Any, yeah, right, yeah. we're going to get him or that they really wanted him. So I didn't get a phone number or anything like that from the man, which I almost no. always do in these situations. But I think something happened, like the practice ended abruptly and I had to get a player or something. And, and you know, it was like, oh, hey, great to see you, you know, and, and I never saw them again. Never laid eyes on any mm. of those people the entire time wow. Carson Wentz was in Philly. And it, not that they, maybe they would never have answered if I texted or something, but you know, you don't, you feel like you really, uh, you really bungled something there. I'm, I, I, this is, this is a, a conversation we had uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. What is it? Was, when Vegas? Was that last week? That was three weeks ago. No. Two weeks ago yes. at the Super Bowl. Uh, that I'm curious on your perspective of because it's it, it tracks with that story. I have always thought that like one of my failings as a reporter is I don't want to bother people. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, right. Which and is a very bad. Trait it's a terrible a trait yeah, to have yeah. as a reporter. And so, yeah, like I would it, like to, I, it would be a great day to watch Carson Wentz with his dad at practice. Yeah. But then at the end, I like I gotta bother this guy and ask for his phone number, and then like all these times they're gonna have to reach out to him. Like, yeah. I don't want to bother the guy. Right. Like, you know, I talk to parents right. for stories all the time when I'm writing a feature. But then am I gonna like, you know, uh, you know, Derek Barnett gets waived? Do I need to like right. reach out to his mom and be yeah. like, uh, what do you think of this? Like, I don't know. I don't want to bother them. I absolutely feel the same way, and that's one reason I was never a news reporter. You know, yeah. I. Early on in my career, when I was in Charlotte, where I grew up, uh, I had to cover a few things like athletes dying and stuff like that, like a, a University of South Carolina football player in the heat. And I did enough of that kind of stuff that I thought that I'm not an adversarial. I mean, I'm adversarial when I have to be, but right. I have to really kind of psych myself up. Whereas a really good, hard-edged news reporter really looks forward to not when people die, but, you know, when be, you know, confronting someone or, you know, really. Well, although also credit to you, by the way, wait, wait, I, I, I'm going to say credit to you in that when Chip Kelly's dismissed, you go over to his house and knock on his door and you did a good job there. It was in the, it was nighttime. Uh, I needed to write something that would be a little bit different from what mm -hmm. other people had. And he lived about a mile from me. So it wasn't really that hard. And I didn't get to talk to him. I talked to his girlfriend and his dog. Uh, but You talked yeah. to the dog? Well, the dog had very little to say. Uh, I think that was in your story, too. The dog declined comment. Or rough. Like that. Oh, that's good. He yes. thought it was rough. Uh, yeah. It, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, it was just something to get a lead that nobody else had. It, it didn't really. Uh, but to this day, I can text with Chip, you know, uh, I try to keep on a collegial level right. with these people when they, I don't like to like burn bridges with people, sure. but uh, I don't. But I, don't I also think there's a difference, right? Between being confrontational or adversarial with, 
the people who you're covering yeah. who are in positions of power who like that is your job versus right. like you know people who this is not their job you know like yeah. they're just family members or whoever right. or like they're right. uh like you know you see you see a uh, a front office member over there like and you got to like mosey over and right. like uh, have right. this like sort of forced fake conversation and i don't know it's it's just but it's funny it's does, something that doesn't come naturally you mentioned me. parents and what i found is that they're very different you know some of them you talk to them once and they never want to really engage again sure you know like dallas goddard's mom i think i talked to her once but after that there was never any response um but with Zach mentioned Larry Foles. Larry Foles wanted to talk, sure. you know, it was, and if somebody wants to talk to me, I'm very happy to talk to them, you know, and I've had another, uh, like, uh, Josh Sweat's, uh, dad, yeah. you know, he's yeah. a good guy to talk mm -hmm. to. Um, but it's rare. I mean, in, as we get further and further into, you know, the current atmosphere of the media in the NFL, it's, it's, it's harder and harder to, build those kinds of relationships to have those kinds of, you know, moments with people, uh, you know, the way the senior bowl is now, I would never probably sure. find Doug Wentz and sit down next to him. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a different world. Yeah. It's the, it's the transactional nature of some of that stuff that, that yeah. makes me feel uncomfortable. Like I would much rather have, uh, a smaller group of people who I can trust are reliable narrators, right? And yes. they can trust, and like it's it's a two way street. And as opposed to like uh, now, this is this is again, this is like a failing, right? I'm not going to just uh, spray out a hundred texts and hope that like one person responds. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's just, it just makes me uneasy. What about you, Zach? <laughs> uh, everyone has has your volume approaches. shooter. I wouldn't say volume shooter, but I think I think I accept the fact that. There's there's going to be calls or texts that are unanswered. You know, it's it's kind of like trying to get a date in your twenties, right? Yeah. You, you don't need all of them to respond. You just need you just need one, right? Um, so uh, that's. Uh, but I, I I hear what you're saying. I I don't want to be an imposition in this. You know, I've I've had situations similar to less where you know I vividly remember I I, I covered a murder on a uh, lacrosse team at the University yeah. of Virginia. And I, I was responsible for knocking on the doors and it's like, that's, it's hard. That's a tough assignment. Yeah. You know, you're because for the reason you, you mentioned, these are, these are grieving people and, and you're, you know, you, you feel like an imposition, but you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's the job and the reality is, and, and perhaps this is a rationalization, but this is what I always tell myself is that you never know who wants to talk. And that's right. un unless you ask, yeah. like, like the answer is no. If, if you don't ask, if, if you ask, the answer might be yes. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And, and so I, I always keep that in mind that, um, I try to be polite and respectful about it, but you never know when you're going to come across someone who, who, uh, who says yes. And like an example of this from my football perspective is, uh, is, is Chip Kelly never talked about injuries, right? He would always say, I never met with the trainer. You know, I haven't met with the trainer. I haven't met with the trainer. And we would always ask in these Monday press conferences. And then one day, you know, Tim McManus asks, and, and Chip says, I actually just passed Paduzzi in the hallway, and he told me this. And so it's like you never know that one day when yeah. you might get something. Right. That, it, it's a different uh, – yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Les, I'm also curious, um, because you've been writing uh, about your thoughts on the team, how differently – like do you feel like 
the distance not being in mm. like the day-to-day yes. uh like the the micro stuff has has helped your perspective in a way hmm. oh i thought you were going to say hurt but you said helped so i think I'll it's I, to, I think sometimes it, it can, can help. do either like yeah you take a step back you're exactly yeah. right when i stopped covering the flyers after 13 years the first year or two after that I would get kind of frustrated with the beat writers because I would read some of the stuff and I would say, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can be too close when you're covering yeah. something oh, on yes. a day-to-day basis. And you have to write about it every day. I think you can miss present stuff. Yeah. themselves, you know, even if the team is going to crap, nobody sits there and like, you know, puts their hands over their face and, and admits that they have no answers. They sort of, there's this veneer of professionalism and you kind of think things are under control or that things are going to work out. And if you're not there and you're not, you know, seeing this, you know, we'll work out these little quirks and we'll be better next week. We'll pick up the blitz next week. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the uh, right. last seven weeks this year were a great example. I, yeah. I, I, I read your stuff and I follow you and you were saying all along, uh, especially in, in December, like this team can't win a game and yeah. I'm, and I'm sitting here and I, I don't see the forest for the trees, and I'm I'm saying, well, look at this matchup, and the Eagles have this talent mismatch, uh, and so it is true. You can yeah. be too close to it. Where if you take a step back and look at the big picture, this team can't win a game, right? Yeah, yeah, and teams get like that. That was it. it reminded me most of Andy Reid's last season, where the yeah. team started out three and one, and then lost eleven of its last twelve. And you get to a point where you you just know this team. It doesn't matter whether the right tackle is better than the edge rusher. <laughs> right. You know, it, the team just isn't going to win. They've they've stopped listening. They've stopped functioning as a unit, you know, and nobody knows why. Nobody can really explain it. Certainly wasn't that Andy Reid was a terrible coach. I think we can all agree. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what happened this year. And I think that I don't think they can fully explain that either. Yeah, it. I've never seen anything like that where the coach didn't get fired. I mean, to finish the way they finished over a protracted period, not just one or two games, but, you know, a month and a half, two months of just futility and the only big move the coach made was a disaster. Completely backfired. Uh, I, I mean, I don't have anything against Nick Sirianni. Obviously, he got them to the Super Bowl the year before. He must not be an idiot, but I, I've i never seen anybody come back from something like that, and it'll be really interesting to see how he does it. And so having covered Jeffrey Lurie for, for a long time and, and Howie Roseman too, why do you think it is that they, they opted for this sort of half Ooh. measure? Well, I think it is hard to fire a coach the year after he got you to the Super Bowl. Uh, they don't want to be. They talk. You know, they know that the, the most successful teams over the long run are teams uh, like the Patriots and Steelers that don't fire coaches willy-nilly and have a new guy every couple years and, you know, a new plan right. and all that. And then, of course, that's that's a, 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 a like a selection bias thing, right? Because if they're good, they're not going to replace right. you. Right. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. of course. But it's it's sometimes it's a conscious decision. I think you can especially say that with the Steelers. Yes. There have been years when Mike Tomlin could have gotten fired. Right. And I think John Harbaugh in, in Baltimore yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Harbaugh was a couple years ago close, I think, to being fired. But, uh, you know, it's they understand that that's not the way to do things. But 
I also think they're taking a huge gamble. I think it's kind of a Frankenstein's monster when you have a guy, a head coach who was, and I'm sure you guys have covered this ad nauseum, but I'm on here now, so I get to say <laughs> it too. You know, you you have a coach who was brought in, but at least partly because of his offensive sure. acumen. Yes. And now being told, well, it, we, we got somebody else for that. <laughs> you know, I it, it just seems bizarre to me. It really does, and I can't. It's very, it's very on my radar that yeah. like this is. It really does have a, a potential to, like, totally backfire um, because like these these guys haven't worked together before. You don't know what the personality dynamics are going to be. Of course, Nick Sirianni is going to want to have a say in the offense. Yeah. He is an offensive guy. Like I, I, I don't know how that that stuff is going to work out. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm curious your perspective from you started on on the beat in, in 2004, correct? Two. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 2002. Yeah. So you have you have 22 year frame of reference here, and and it's it's not like you just moved here and and, right. and, and you know you saw it for a few decades before that, but knowing Jeffrey Lurie and then seeing Howie Roseman become the GM, um, how, how unique do you think the Eagles' head coaching job is here, especially mm. post Andy Reid? Uh, seeing the the uh, the presence that that and post chip yes and and yeah. post chip that both Andy and Howie have and how have you seen that evolve from 2002 to now? That's a really interesting and and complex question. Um, you know, my early years covering the team, I didn't think that much about Jeffrey. Hmm. Uh, it was it was Andy's team and Joe Banner's team, right? And everything else was kind of, you know, Howie was uh, Joe's assistant. In fact, I vividly remember when uh, Bobby Taylor left the Eagles, he was having a contract dispute and he complained that uh, he couldn't even, his agent couldn't even talk to Joe Banner that they made him talk to some guy named Howie, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, in those days, it was Andy and Joe and Jeffrey would talk at training camp and give these long, you know, <laughs> to quiz Rogers. He was a big joke with the PR mm -hmm. staff, how long it would take to transcribe Jeffrey right. and pages and pages of type that would be generated. Cause he just kind of riff off the top of his head. Yes. And it wasn't, it was like, okay, this guy owns the team. Right. <laughs> um, I didn't, he seemed like a nice man and obviously he'd gotten a stadium built and a practice facility built and he had good priorities, but I didn't, really think about him in terms of football decisions at all after Andy and Joe left that changed dramatically mm. I think the whole chip thing uh was really a roller coaster uh one of the things I kind of hold against Jeffrey frankly okay is 2015 you guys remember this Jeffrey talked right before the season yep. on the practice field yep before the Atlanta game. Yep. And he gave us chapter and verse about what a wonderful leader Chip Kelly was and how great it was and how much he supported Chip Kelly. And this was, you know, everything was great and wonderful with him. And, you know, that he liked Chip Kelly's style. And when the guy was fired, uh, what, about three months later, we found out that there'd been huge rifts in this fabric right emotional uh, intelligence was he the was big, just yeah. lying to us he was just he felt like and he told me later that he felt like he needed to you know indicate support for chip but you can do that without 
just totally giving right. people a, an impression of something that's entirely wrong. You know, you can be restrained in your... Well, and, and we course, didn't hear from you him again are, the and, whole and it's, season. And it's a repeated game, right? And so if yeah. Jeffrey is the owner of the team, and if he comes out and, you know, lies about that, then it, it becomes hard to take anything he says seriously. Right. right. And the rest of that season, you know, things went badly. In Detroit, I don't remember whether you guys were with, but I remember Tim McManus for some reason. But, you know, that horrible Thanksgiving game yep. in Detroit where they got blown out by a really bad Lions team, we all thought this is the kind of game that gets a coach fired. Sure. So we were trying to find Jeffrey after the game, and he did a wonderful job of, you know, not being anywhere mm -hmm. we were. We went out to the bus. We walked <laughs> up. And I remember walking up and down this Tripping, tunnel, I like that. You know, looking in corners for Jeffrey. You know, we couldn't find him. But my point is, from that moment where he's like, J Chip Kelly is the most wonderful man on earth, until the day he was fired, we never heard another word from Jeffrey about this whole situation. So we had no idea. I mean, I, we, we kind of figured things were going bad, but I kind of thought if you can take yourself back however many years that was, eight and a half years ago, I thought Chip might survive. This, you know, it was just one bad year, really. Uh, I thought he might have to give up some, right. some personnel clout or something, but... And then all of a sudden, the last week of the season, he's gone. And it, and that's the kind of stuff that, as a reporter, kind of drives you nuts because it's, do I know what's going on here? You know, And a, I, obviously, I didn't. Just, I thought you might have some thoughts on that, no, that, I, that I, chip time. I mean, yeah, I, go, to, go to bat to defend your boy. <laughs> well, I, I, hear what, I, I hear what Les is saying, and I've, I've had similar conversations um, you know, with, with Jeffrey about it. And I, I, I do think part of him he was trying to believe that, right? Yeah, I, like okay. he, he really wanted that to work. Yeah. Uh, and well said. Yeah. I, I, I think that because for him to move Howie over, mm -hmm. right. For him to give up the organization, essentially, because if you remember a big sentiment around that New England game that they won in 2015 was he wanted the team back. Right. Yeah. So for him to give that up, it was because I think he saw that Chip was extraordinarily talented and that he wanted that to work. So I think some of that, I don't know if it was lying as much as he was trying to convince himself. Okay. Too, but also the flip side to that is keeping Howie around tells uh, you that he knew. Oh, he was, right. he was hedging. He was, right. he yeah, was hedging for sure. He knew yeah. that it, it, there was a, yeah. a, a like very realistic chance that it wasn't going to work. Yes. Yeah. 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 But that, that period there. And then I, I do think there was a shift in 2016, especially, and as as we've as we've written about after the Super Bowl in 2017, where yeah. it was it was uh, I think I don't want to say more heavy handed, but definitely more of a role. And I mean, he wasn't the owner; he was the CEO. Yeah, and that's that absolutely. I, I think that distinction is clear. He started talking more about football concepts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you remember the when the owners meeting, whatever owners meeting it was, where the ARFID date. Yeah, 2004. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, 2016. Yep, 2016. He, he wouldn't we didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, radio right. frequency identification. Over and over yeah. again about this. And so we went to Doug, I guess it was, and Doug really didn't <laughs> Doug know what he was <laughs> talking yeah. about. Uh, you know, the ARFID data was the biometric yeah. uh, stuff that they for people out the there. Player you know, yeah, yep. The player tracking data. Yeah, player tracking data. And they had just had a big presentation on this to the owners. And Jeffrey was 
in love. You know, he had never, you know, this was the greatest thing ever. And that's the kind of thing that gets Jeffrey's He loves attention. being on the, on the vanguard of, yes. of something. Yes. It's, it's part of, I think, why he was so smitten with yeah. Jim to begin with, right? Like, I don't blame yeah. him. It's good to be on the vanguard of things. It is, you, you, but you can't chase trends. Every mm-hmm. trend that comes along isn't the greatest thing that ever happened. And I think for sort of a like while, the Fangio Jeffrey defense, was a little which, bit like yeah. that. Uh, I don't know that he's like that all the time. I think he's a very intelligent man. Mm-hmm. I think he, as I said, I think he has good priorities. Uh, one thing. And I think as a fan, if you were like drafting owners, he would probably be in the top three. Oh, and, you know, the one thing I learned, I did a kind of stupid little coffee table Eagles book. <laughs> it wasn't stupid. It was, it was a good book. I enjoyed it. It paid for some college tuition for kids. <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but the one thing that I really gleaned CTC, while baby. doing that, you know, you, you never think you're going to learn too much about a team you've been covering for many years. Mm-hmm. But looking back and really reading about Eagles ownership over the years, Jeffrey Lurie is far and away the best. Oh, owner. Sure. The, yeah. the Eagles never had decent ownership, really. I mean, even even they were sold between the 48 and 49 championships that they won. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just wasn't ever a real strong organization that had, you know, they never had a practice facility. Yeah. Right. Uh, they never had their own stadium. You know, I mean, it was just, uh, it was a real, uh, for, a, for an old and, and tradition-steeped organization that had so much of a following, until Lurie got here, there really wasn't, ownership that had all the right priorities and invested money and and had money and uh, wasn't gambling it away like Leonard Toes mm-hmm. and trying to move the team. And, you know, I mean, Jeffrey's ownership is is incredibly successful. I and mean, when I criticize him, I want to make sure everybody understands that sure, I do yeah, know so that. Then, yeah. yeah. It, it, do if I can ask you too, though, by the way, um, because as, as you were talking, it made me think you covered – a really dynamic period of Ed Snyder's ownership yeah. um, and he, where he was quite involved and it's not necessarily as, as, as Bo used to reference being on, on, on the Vanguard. It was, and, and correct me if I'm wrong with, with Ed Snyder, it was almost like, like pining for a time that once was in Sometimes. the ownership. Yeah. yeah. So, so how, how would you compare those, the, the ownership mm. period you covered with Jeffrey Lurie and the ownership period you covered with Ed Snyder? Well, I, Long story short, my Ed Snyder years were toward the end of his, you know, the, the glory years were the 70s and maybe the yep. 80s. Uh, I started covering him in 89, and he had just moved out to California with his second wife and was trying to be more of a TV producer. Hmm. And Jay Snyder, his son, was running the team. But that didn't, the, the fires were, for a lot of reasons, that really weren't Jay Snyder's fault, in decline. They hadn't drafted well in the late 80s, and early, and then they got into the, the – Jay Snyder fired Bob Clark. He wanted to take over the team himself. Jay wanted to be Jerry Mr. Jones. Snyder, yeah. you know. And uh, things were – they missed the playoffs a couple of years in a row, which hadn't happened. And they had the All-Star game in 1992 at the Spectrum. And the fans spent the whole game chanting, Jay must go. And Ed flew back from the coast. This is a different era before, you know, everything was streamed everywhere and there was social media. And, you know, Ed flew back from the coast blissfully unaware, I think, to watch the All-Star game. Here's people 
chanting Jay must go the entire game. And uh, Ed moved back to Philly <laughs> and got very involved. And they traded for Eric Lindros, which in retrospect, you could really make a good argument that having drafted Peter Forsberg and being in an era when the NF NHL was about to expand from 21 to 30 teams inside a decade, that they that it was a disastrous trade in some mm -hmm. respects. But, you know, Ed wanted... Ed wanted everybody talking about the Flyers. Hmm. He wanted to be at the vanguard, you know, uh, a little bit like Jeffrey. I don't think he wanted the 70s. I think that's a misperception okay. that All he wanted right. the team that. to beat everybody up. Yeah. But he wanted the, the, the Flyers to be good, and he was very impatient as he got older about that. And he didn't stick with anything very long, you know. And uh, that impatience, I think, cost them quite a bit. But they were, they got really close to being, to winning again, you know, several times. They've been in the finals, what, I think six times, seven times since they won the Stanley Cup. I mean, I don't think anybody else. They're like the Buffalo Bills mm -hmm. of, of hockey since the mid-70s. It's, uh, but, you know, anyway, Ed was a more visceral sort of, uh, he had that sort of feel for the blue-collar, you know, the one playoff uh, run, we were in Pittsburgh at the William Penn Hotel, and Ed was holding court in the bar, buying drinks for all of us, which we didn't really want because you're not supposed to take stuff like that. Sure, you don't tell Zach. But yeah. Ed would like, you know, he he was a, you know, he'd pound his, ta his fist on the table and tell you what he thought and, you know, argue with you. Or, oh, I love that. You know, yeah. I mean, you don't get that with Jeffrey. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ed, one time we were at the end of a long road trip. We were in Atlanta, and I had one sport coat for this road trip, and we'd been through a bunch of cities, a bunch of overhead bins that my sport coat had been cramped <laughs> sure. into. And uh, Ed looked at me and said, <laughs> Ed looked at me and said, uh, Les, your sport coat looks like crap. You need to buy another one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Jeffrey just... Isn't good. He's never. He's not paying attention to your sports card. Okay. By the way, uh, there is a shout out here. Les Philip says he bought your book. And oh, he says it was a great read for an Eagles you. fan in Belgium. Well, I'm glad, Philip. Thanks. And I'm curious what Thanks Zach so will think about whether I have can... several boxes of it left. There you go. If anybody out there needs one, I like you, that. What you do is you put that on out on on Twitter. You say you'll do a signed copy, yeah. and they'll pay for you know you include postage, and they Venmo you the money. It's a great. Okay. It's a great situation. There you go. I'm yeah, not sure how useful the book is at this point. I'm curious if Zach thinks that there's a way to learn new information about a team you cover from writing a book about them. But Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we move on, it's time to talk about uh, Philly sports trips because we are headed to Clearwater with Philly sports trips for our very first PHLY spring training takeover. Hang with Philly's legend Charlie Manuel. Philly sports trips plans the whole experience out from flights and hotels to game tickets and transportation, you are hands-off. Just come along for the ride, the ultimate ride for a Phillies fan. You can spend St. Patrick's Day on a private yacht with a catered dinner and drinks. You can live like Jeffrey Lurie and Ed Snyder. Be on the lookout for more events throughout the year with Philly Sports Trips, our dear friends at Philly Sports Trips. The trip, again, is March 13th to 18th, so don't wait to book. It's coming up. Head to allphly.com slash events to learn more and book your trip. Go see Jamie Lynch's legs. 
out in the open. And when I am not uh, following and unfollowing Bo on Twitter at 2.30 a.m., oh, a- uh, you know what I, I, I did at 2.30 a.m. last night? I was on the Game Time app trying to find tickets for this Sunday Sixers game. You need to sleep, my man. And you know what? I didn't have to do it then because I could have just waited for the last minute. Because buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. They have flash deals and last-minute tickets. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in the area. Image of seat views and lowest price guarantee with event cancellation protection, job loss, protection and more is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason and what i like is you can get image get images of your seat before you buy i was showing my son the different types of seats we can sit in so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive buy tickets in a matter of seconds just two taps and you're set tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app and create an account and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Les, I want to ask you about uh, something that we talked about over the past couple of days, and that is Howie Roseman mm-hmm. contra Joe Banner, right, has been right. Um, more willing to keep the guys around for a long right. time, right? These, these franchise uh, tent poles. And now with Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, and Brandon Graham all potentially coming back, potentially not coming back, do you think that they want those guys back? Uh, or wow. do you think that they are not so secretly hoping that like it's the end of the road? Boy, that's a real good question. I can't imagine they don't want Kelsey back. Yeah, He's still one of the very best centers in the league. They don't know that replacing a, a Hall of Fame-level player in any sport is really fraught. I mean, a lot of times teams think, well, we've got this guy, but you're talking about one of the all-time greats of your franchise. I remember vividly, I did a little bit of Phillies coverage early in my career. I was there in 1989 when Mike Schmidt retired, and the Phillies had Rick Shue. They were, <laughs> yeah, they were going to be okay. You know, I mean, I, I'm not going to, you know, compare Jurgens to, to Rick Shue, right, but, but yeah, you know, Jurgens gets hurt. Uh, he's never really, you know, we don't know that he's going to be top center, one of the great bulwarks of the franchise. That I think Jason Kelsey at this point would be a huge loss, you know, to the team. The other two guys, you know, Brandon Graham, if he wants to hang around in a ceremonial role right. and play a few snaps here and there, I don't know what their roster situation is and how they, you know, that would be fine with me not really having to handle the 53 or I don't know, but I can't see that that would hurt the team in any way. Sure. Fletcher Cox is a little tougher. I don't know uh, what he's looking for money wise. I'm assuming Brandon at Graham at this point will take whatever you're willing to. Yeah. That's, that's our that. understanding as well. Yeah. Um, with Fletch, he makes a lot of money. I, I don't know what – I thought during the really bad spell, frankly, I thought Fletch was playing better than the other interior linemen they had. And that's another consideration. You know, I, it's so hard to know what decisions to make with this team after what happened because there's nobody that you really – And they're looking for answers. Yeah. yeah. 
And, uh, but I don't, there's no way all three of them are going to be back. Probably. Um, I think it's a huge leadership transition for this team. I think it's a transition that the Eagles kind of want to make. You see how he kind of trying to force Nicobe Dean into, mm. you know, the, the voice of the defense when he, he we have, we don't know that he can even play yet. Um, yeah, I, I, boy, that's, that's, and a if you big... missed it on yesterday's episode, Josh Tolentino telling us that, that, uh, Nicobe Dean had Liz Franks in both feet. Really? Yeah. I did not know that, but wild, you know, I'm, I, I was really struck by Howie's comments a few weeks ago because they were so at odds with what we've seen. When the Kobe Dean has played, he's been okay. He's been fine. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. yeah. And, um, they really are putting a lot of weight on that guy, though. They really apparently see him as a linchpin here. And I, unless it's a, uh, you know, Jeffrey Lurie talking about what a good of a leader Chip Kelly is situation. Yeah, again, yeah. Yeah, it could be. On the, on the topic of the, of the, of the middle of the defense, you are one who you know called Jerry Robinson about the last time the yes. Eagles drafted a, a linebacker, <laughs> uh, and you've seen the Eagles kind of go through this cycle. Uh, so I, I I bring that up because the Eagles don't typically draft linebackers high, and you've seen them go through this cycle of veteran free agent safeties. Yeah. And you had a tweet the other day where where you said that you know the Eagles kind of uh, go for a guy sometimes two years too late. Um, what's your sense of how the Eagles will approach the middle of the defense? Do you think it's it's going to be keep taking stabs at these value plays, or do you think they do something different than they've done the past few years? Well, every year for the last, oh, I don't know, seven or eight years, I've confidently predicted that the Eagles will draft a corner in the first or second round. Mm. And other than Sidney Jones, I've been wrong uh, every year. Uh <laughs> So I don't know, but I, they have to get a good young corner somehow. And I assume the best way to do that is through the draft. And I think it's a decent draft for corners from what I read. Yep. Um, safety, I have no idea what they're going to do. The thing that bothers me about Howie and the safety and linebacker positions is Howie gets a lot of credit when things work out well and a lot of blame when things don't. And it just seems like, the years that things work out well, stuff drops in his lap. That he doesn't do anything real proactive at those positions. It just so happens that somebody wants to get rid of C.J. Gardner Johnson right before the season starts, or something. I mean, he's you still know. in position to I mean, trade for him, but yeah, it, yeah. You know, yeah. with the linebacker position, it's like some years you end up with Alex Singleton and a couple guys nobody ever heard of, and some years you end up with T.J. Edwards and Kazir White. You know, who can say? You know, and it. That's just not, I don't, I understand value. I think that is the positions. lesson though, <laughs> that like at some positions you can be patient because there is going to be turnover. You and can there be are patient, be but you have to have decent quality professional players. And if you can add something better, so be it. You can't just like sure. whatever comes in over the transom is what we're going to play at linebacker, which is, some years, frankly, is what it feels like around here, you know. I, and I do think the league has changed. You know, during the Andy years and, and the Chip years, I was all about, you know, the, the idea that they didn't draft a linebacker in the first round. Nobody really, you know, it's linebacker isn't a position where you draft someone, certainly not high in the first round. But the league is changing again. And I think you see 
linebacking making a big difference with the teams that were in the Super Bowl this year. You can't say they didn't have good linebackers. You can't say they drafted them in the first round because they didn't. Uh, you know, Fred Warner was third round, right. just like Davion Taylor, but right. different. Uh, you know, I but you've got to you got to find real talent in the draft. I think at corner and at linebacker, and I don't know what you do at safety. Maybe maybe a draft. They they just aren't very good at drafting safeties. Well, they they sort of like recognized that a while ago and decided to back off doing it and yes. instead went the free agent route and they had exactly. a lot of success there with Malcolm Jenkins they and did. Rodney McLeod and, yes. and that sort of made sense. Now Sidney Brown last year was the first guy who sort of changed that and he was their red star player. And I think Sidney Brown, I think there's reason to be optimistic now. Right. He's but coming when off is he the ACL. Play? Exactly. Yeah. So I they need to I think I think that's why I think safety is a free agent move mm-hmm. for them and corner is a is a draft move. That, that makes sense to me. That definitely makes sense to me. And then you got to worry about linebacker and and the edge rush and what's going on there. And you know the whole Hassan Reddick, Josh Sweat dynamic. You guys, I happened to catch one of your podcasts. I guess about a week right, ago, yes. we were talking about that. That is really a uh, Sweat's three years younger, but he has that knee that was just I totally know. rebuilt. I'm worried about it. And people will say, you know, you can see him limp. I mean, he's... The he, way he runs, yeah. He Remember run, when he yeah. ran, he had that pick six? And, uh, yeah. and also, you know, I think, Zach, you made the point, Hassan Reddick's just a better player. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at his best, Josh Sweat, if Josh Sweat is up against a Pro Bowl tackle, he doesn't do much. With Hassan Reddick, that's not necessarily true. Uh, I agree. But with Hassan Reddick... I took a look this morning just because every now and then I like to look up a fact, even though I don't really <laughs> traffic in those very much. You know, all the top five edge rushers are making $25 million or better. Yeah. But they're all guys that I would say are better players than Hassan, really. And not just off of what happened last year, but just in general. He's small. He's not a guy that, you know, domin- it sets the edge, that really dominates the game. He can, he can cause chaos. Uh, you know, but sometimes he doesn't. You know, he's not Miles Garrett, certainly. Are you going to pay him like that? I I wouldn't. Uh, and I don't know what this, how do you think all this is going to end up with the uh, agent seeking the trade? To me, that's just a team telling the agent, yeah, your numbers are sure are out of, uh, right. out of the universe here. Go talk to some other teams and, Get back to me when they tell you that. Tell me what the yeah. best number you They're can never going right. to do that either. Tell me what the yeah, best so, number you can get so, is. So my perspective on that is that, you know, the franchise tag window opened two days ago. That I expect Josh Allen uh, from the Jags, Brian mm-hmm. Birds to be tagged, maybe Bryce Huff. I don't think the top edge rushers are going to hit the market. I think Hassan Reddick is going to get a number that uh, the Eagles aren't going to pay. Oh, and okay. so the matter you think those guys aren't going to, yeah. Do and I, I, I think there are going to be teams that are looking for difference making edge rushers. It's not a good draft for that group. Yeah. Um, even if it is difference making edge rushers go in the top 10 in the draft. Right. Uh, so you, so you have, you have those factors. And if you want an edge rusher, I think you're going to have to trade for one. Uh, yeah. there's a reason why Chicago made that trade for Montez sweat at the deadline. And you can say it's a it's a foolish trade to give up a pick when you can when you can when you can get a guy who's going to hit the market. A lot of these players don't hit the market. 
Um, there are certain positions yeah. that, you know, I mean, edge rusher, offensive tackle are positions where teams try to do their best to, to, to keep these guys in, in-house. And that's why we, we did a show last week where we went through the edge rusher trades. There are more high-profile edge rusher trades than there are high-profile safety trades because safeties hit the market, edge rushers don't. And that's why I think Hassan Reddick is going to find the number okay. he's looking for. Um, the question is whether that team will give the number and the draft pick compensation. Because right. I think both of those have to fit the Eagles framework. Yeah, absolutely. You can't give Hassan Reddick away if you're the Eagles. You can't even give him you know, away for like a mid-round pick. I mean, that would be a disaster, I think, for the Eagles. But I did see a Jets writer, at least one Jets writer, the guy who used to be cover the Eagles for NJ.com. Zach Rosenblatt from there the Athletic. Uh, yeah. yes. Good job, Zach does. Yeah, that, yeah. they'll take me back to Former the Former guest on this show. Soon. Um, but, spells his name wrong, though. He spells with a K. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. But he he actually tweeted that he doesn't think the Jets will tag Bryce. Bryce off. Okay. So, but, yeah, that wouldn't make a huge – I mean, the other guys you mentioned, right. I'm sure. But, but that uh, also brings to mind, which is actually the uh, – I think the, the headline of this mm-hmm. show on the YouTube is that, like uh, – I mean, you got you know Howie Roseman, you know that he loves to make a splash, like the way that last yeah. year collapsed. Right. I expect him to be seeking out some pretty significant moves, and they don't have a ton of cap space to make that happen. And so, like, I do think that there is potential for like one or two quote unquote like blockbuster trades right. for for Howie to make. I think you're probably right. Also, cap space was always one of my biggest bugaboos hmm. as a beat writer. I hate cap space. Yeah, they have like 20 million right now, but the cap's going to go up 5 to 7 million. Right. And then I saw something yesterday from somebody about a couple moves they could make that would double that. Well, if you double that, then you've got cap space coming out the wazoo, you know. Right. I mean, they're there. I mean, generally speaking, they are going to be able to find a way to make a move that they want to be able to make. Yes. And also, I think people sometimes don't understand that when you sign somebody to a big free agent contract and you talk about the cap hit the first year, usually the cap is cap hit is very, very right. low. You know, it just and this is also sort of a Jeffrey conversation, because what the real difference maker is everybody is able to manipulate the cap if they want to that way. But it requires having an owner who's willing to pay the cash, the cash. Yes. which, which not is a different every entity. team has. Which the Eagles do. Right. Yeah. The Eagles are always at the top of the league in, in cash, in spend. cash yeah. spent. And I don't think, you know, fans really understand that very much. I think I think Jeffrey and Howie, there are things that I would certainly change about them, but I, I think fans have we were talking about the coaching situation a while ago and how I think there's this narrative with some fans that Jeffrey and Howie are these terrible Svengali-type figures who, you know, the coaches are just puppets and and they make all these terrible decisions. You know, the, the franchise wouldn't have done as well as it's done this, this century mm. if Jeffrey and Howie were, you know, terrible Machiavellian, uh, sure. you know, uh, villains who are just intent on destroying the, the fans' Uh, hopes and dreams. <laughs> I, I do think they do. You know, they're pretty. I trust them more than I trust some of the people they hire sometimes <laughs> to get things. If that makes any sense. And this is like a, uh, you know, what's it's like an interview question. What's your biggest weaknesses? I care too much. But like, yeah. I, I do think that if one of their uh, negatives is that, and how I will say this, he's always trying to win the Super Bowl that yeah. year. 
And sometimes I think that that backfires and, and sort of makes the whole house of cards collapse. Yeah. And that's a good, there's a conversation this year about are the Eagles really in the position they were in a year ago where you could see them in the Super Bowl or do they need to kind of marshal their resources here and, and sort of reset a little bit? I, I don't know. Uh, have you guys thought about that at all? Or? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, I would say too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. I probably spent too much time thinking about that. And I, and, and I think the, the big question there up at 2.30 in the morning. is that Howie Roseman made a comment um, in that press conference, uh, it was what, uh, three weeks ago now, four weeks ago now, where he said you don't want to overreact to an aberration and, or something along right. those those lines. And I think a, a big um, question for the, for the team, and it's one I'll probably pose next week, is do you view what happened at the end of the season as an aberration or do you view it as an indication of greater problems? And yeah. I, I, I think the perspective that they have on that would shape whether they think it's just changing the coordinators, add a piece here, tinker there, or if they need to take a step back and make some major changes with yeah. this team. That's that's the biggest thing. That and Jalen Hurts are the two mm. overweening questions of of this where do you stand on Jalen yeah about Jalen just like what the hell happened Hmm. you know I would say from game one last year he looked you know everybody says he looks stoic to me last season he never really looked stoic he looked uh frustrated he looked uh exasperated he looked uncertain uh I don't know what any of that was about uh and that's why we have crazy rumors floating around the atmosphere about, you know, dysfunction within the team. Something, you know, he did play very, very well at some points, but he, when I had a podcast several months ago, I had Brandon Brooks on. Hmm. And could it was get. a really interesting conversation. I need your booking producer. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just asked Brandon, you know. Um, but he's, he's uh, working, he's trying to get, uh, a wall street career. Going, yeah, yeah. And he's a really interesting guy. And I, I was, this was before the season and I was asking him what his thoughts about the Eagles. And he says, well, as, as long as Jalen hurts is the quarterback, I think they will be fine. And that was really what we all thought a year yeah. ago, you know? Yeah. And I just don't know what happened. I, I see this guy, you know, run around out there and throw the ball out of bounds and, you know, take one-yard sacks for no reason, running out of bounds. And I don't know what the hell he's – I don't know what's in his head. I don't know who he was angry with, who he was disappointed in, but maybe it was himself. But uh, something was very wrong there, and I still want to see an explanation for that. And uh, along those lines, there was uh, there was a tweet that uh, Derek Gunn had had yesterday saying yeah. that uh, that Jalen Hurts was pulled in a lot of directions post contract, and then he also had a a line in there that said that essentially after Dom DeSandro's suspension, uh, Nick Sirianni uh, didn't have the person who kept him in emotional check on the sideline, and that led to you know fights. Um, with coaches, players, whatever it may be. Uh, we've discussed, Bo and I, on on the show numbers of times, Jalen's personality, mm-hmm. Jalen's demeanor. We've discussed Nick's personality, Nick's demeanor. What's what's your perspective on on that? And and from a a a bigger picture, you've you've dealt with a lot of 
Februaries in Eagles mm-hmm. world where the team might be quiet. You know, the, I mean, we said at the top of the show, they still haven't even announced their coaching right. staff. We still don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Offensive we haven't coordinators, the offensive coordinator. Yeah. We, we haven't heard, you know, the coordinators speak with right. an Eagles background behind, right? The Eagles have been purposely quiet in recent weeks. Um, what's your perspective on, on how to kind of navigate how that void of team statements and then multiple reports coming out, during this 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 period well i think uh, you know gossip abhors a vacuum just like nature you know it's uh, good reference if you don't That's give Zach's uh, going to steal that yes i will if you don't give people explanations for things they come up with their own explanations yes. and their own explanations can be outlandish and bizarre but they gain some credence because who knows what happened something ridiculous happened maybe it's uh, you know, maybe there was some huge scandal. Maybe they were all on drugs. You know, maybe that. Yes, <laughs> maybe that. You know, I mean, it. You can say anything, <laughs> and right now, and get some people to believe it because nothing like that had ever happened before to a team that was ten mm-hmm. and one. So, I, I do think that that hurts the the Eagles. Uh, the fact that there's no explanation for any of this, and that they're being so quiet and so secretive, and and part of it is part of this the. The uh, fixation on what must have happened is you don't have any, you know, Kellen Moore quotes to, you know, you can't dissect what he said about what he's going to do to the offense because he hasn't said anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, you need something else uh, to keep people occupied. You need to make the news what you want it to sure. be. And they're not doing any, they're not making any news. They're just, but the, the Dom part of that was really interesting I mean, if it, I can't believe that's literally true, just because you can't, ha- you you wouldn't have a head coach who can't, <laughs> right? The, he, who he needs, wouldn't have survived if that was that. Who right. needs the security director to keep him from yelling at coaches and players? You know, I, I just, I, I don't see Jeffrey and Howie. It also didn't like the 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 uh, the margins. And those games were so vast. It was not like uh, you right. know, Nick being extra distracted on the sideline was was the difference in those games. It was much more of a like a yeah. Over but the Nick's week. demeanor, I think. You, you asked me about Nick and Jalen. I think they're very, very, very different people. Yes. And the thing that supposedly unites them is their competitiveness. But if one sees the other as being focused in a negative way. That could be very frustrating to that person if if Jalen sees Nick's you know childish yelling at opposing yeah. fans as you know why isn't this guy thinking about what we need to do on third and five you know that can become a big problem if Nick's wants Jalen to be a quarterback who runs around you know pounding people on the chest right. and getting and grabbing their face masks and so forth, that can be a problem. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, when, when people are that different and they really are yes, very, very, very different in their approach to things. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of room for conflict there. And I think that this circles back to what you were talking about with the longevity, um, you know, of, of, Jeffrey Lurie wanting to, to to maintain some consistency, mm-hmm. and you talked about you know he's in the he's in the Fletcher Cox seat. I keep coming back to this. Fletcher Cox a few months ago said like one of his his like core beliefs 
is what that he tells the coaches is the calmer you are, the calmer we are. Yes. And the way that Nick acts again, like I, I, I can, I can buy into it at times, but it, it is not suggestive of longevity. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I, even the Super Bowl year, that game at Indianapolis, hmm. where he was so upset about Frank Wright. Yeah. The Eagles played a terrible game that day. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, that was not a good Indianapolis yeah. team. Right, and obviously yeah. he cared that much all week long. Right. Right, and so right. was was that a detriment? And can't he see that that's a de- I mean, if he can't learn from stuff like that, then I think you really have a very bad situation. Uh, I got to think they've made this point to him and that he's going to be a little more under control, but we haven't seen it. Uh, anything else that you want to pick this on? Not, pick on last week. This was. This I can do this for three hours. This yeah. is fun. We I didn't get to any read lesson. or. Uh, yeah. Could, I have a talk, shuffleboard journalism <laughs> coming Some out more? At, the, at the old folks' home. You know, this afternoon. So, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, here. So, so f- I I hope that our listeners uh, I'll read your blog well, and uh, give us the plug if, if you don't mind. Oh, lesbowensjohn.com. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that they used to listen to your podcast and, and, and that they follow you on social media. But I, 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 that book. I, I, I frame it this way as, as saying we're lucky enough to have your presence here, um, but your, your, your pace of life is, is different than when you're at the team facility every day. What's, what's better and what's worse um, than, you, you know, Ooh. when, when I'm, I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I'm curious uh, – it's almost like civilian life now that yeah, that that, yeah, that, really that, you, that you're living. How's it? How's it different? How's it better? How's it worse? Well, it's better in that I can go to the gym anytime I want. I can visit big my, flex. I have two sons, one in Denver and one in uh, North Carolina. I can, you know, we can make a trip. We can plan a trip. We're not tied to, you know, the Eagle schedule sure. in doing that. Uh, those things are all better. And, you know, at 68, I turned 68 the other day. Uh, I don't want to be getting on planes on two hours sleep and yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. I do miss, however, I, I'm not, you know, I do miss, there, there are times when I'd like to be writing for an outlet that would really, you know, people would actually see a lot of, you know, more people would see what I have to say. And I would like to be able to ask questions sometimes. Mm, yeah of athletes and coaches. And I, but more than anything else, I would love to be around the guys, the people, not just guys. Some of them are women uh, who cover the team. I miss that incredibly, you know, and, and I think probably some of the people watching don't, don't know this, but you can't just go down to Novacare and hang out. You know, you have to be part of a credentialed outlet and I'm not. So, you know, seeing the first time I've seen you guys since last summer, I guess, uh, so, you know, that's that's the biggest negative to me is not having that peer group. Also, it, it not just from a friendship standpoint, but when you're thinking about the team, and as I still do quite a bit, obviously, you have people to bounce things off sure. of and to sort of... It, writers who are competing don't share information that much, but somebody will say something and one of you will have an insight into that or somebody will have another type of insight and you'll sort of work your way through what exactly this meant. And I, it's much easier to get caught wrong footed when you misunderstand. I've done that a few times in recent months, sort of misunderstood what somebody's Mm. point was, Mm. you know, because I'm not 
talking to you guys sure. about it, you know, and so those, anyway, that's a long way of saying, uh, yeah, I don't miss the work, but I miss the people. Hmm. What are there, uh, pieces of writing that you, that you miss? Like what, yeah. what are the types of stories that you, that you miss being able well, to tell? Well, I am sort of like the last, uh, buggy whip manufacturer or last blacksmith <laughs> in that I really loved writing game stories, hmm. which for the last 20 years in the journalism industry have been considered, you know, totally irrelevant right. and stupid, but I didn't write them like, you know, okay, here's a few paragraphs about what happened. Yeah. You know, I tried to write them as, you know, here's some perspective on why things went as they did. Here's what it sounded like. Here's what it felt like. Here's what it smelled like, you know, and I don't see a lot of that, frankly, <laughs> today. And I guess nobody wants it, but, uh, I enjoyed doing it. I, I liked those stories. I liked, uh, I like the big events, you know, yeah. um, it, the combine was a grind, but you, you got, you learned a lot, I think from stuff like that. And you spent time with people and, um, yeah, that, those are all things that, that were valuable to me. Yes. Well, Les, you have a, an open invitation to come back anytime well, you thank want. Thank you this so was, much. Uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you. Anything else? I'm honored to this. be here. Thank you. Well, uh, we, we appreciate it, and we, uh, we thank you very much. Check out Les Bowen's John, and uh, we, hope to, we hope to have you back soon, Les. So thanks to everybody for listening and watching to this episode. Back tomorrow at noon, Zach and Handsome Rich uh, sitting down for a nice little conversation. And then we are off to Indianapolis for the Combine next week. For all of us here at PHLY, we thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you tomorrow. And as always, we love you. Mm -hmm. Y'all silly like the mayor.